another episode of Coffee and Jesus. Thank you all so much for the feedback thus far, and this is episode 31? 31? I've kind of lost track. If it's 31, it's 31. If it's 32, it's 32. But anyway, guys, I just really, really appreciate all the feedback you all have been giving me, and just we're on the series of grace that I've just been really enjoying even listening to and talking about it with you guys and I just really have been in a great season right now of just understanding grace and going through it again personally and even just knowing that this is the foundation of our lives is what Jesus has done and that grace that transforms us into a new life of righteousness and Terry's going to be talking about it again today. We're still going to be listening to Terry Virgo in this third session. So anyway, I've been in Newport on Saturday, and I went to this place called Coasties Roasties. Let me tell you, that coffee is outstanding. That coffee place is so good. It's like it has the vibe of like I'm at the bottom or like the lower level of a ship. But it seemed like a clean ship, okay? I'm not thinking, like, it's all smelly and gross. But it's, like, it seems like you have, like, the cargo and the hanging rope. But it's, like, designed almost kind of to look like a coffee shop that was built inside of a boat, which is really cool. And then the iced vanilla latte they did is a little bit sweeter, but not too sweet that it mixes very well with with the ice. And so it it very much reminds me of, um, of what's it called? Dude, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name right now. That triggers me a little bit. Uh, the one in Newburgh. You all know. The one I always talk about all the time. Oh, I'm going to get mad at myself later on. But <laughs> it's up there. This place, Coasties Roasties, is so good. It's just, oh, it's Chapters. That's the name, Chapters. Duh. Okay, anyway. Coasties Roasties is up there and i haven't had chapters in so long i think i need to go back to review it as well and so with this place i really think it can contend against chapters so i would give it a solid 9.4 out of 10 so that's pretty pretty crazy i think but anyway enough about coffee i'll be drinking coffee right now just something i made from home but We'll be drinking coffee and listening to Terry Virgo, so hope you all enjoy this session. I might talk a little bit in between it, but here's the third session of Grace with Terry Virgo. Well, thank you. Here we go again in looking at the theme of grace. And in this session, we're going to say, well, if God receives us as we are, do we have to bother to serve him? If God declares us righteous, why bother to do anything? And so we're going to look at that theme this evening in this uh, session. So I'm going to read to you from Hebrews, Hebrews in chapter 9, and reading just a few verses from Hebrews 9 and from verse 11. Hebrews 9, 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, 
having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who defiled sanctify the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Father, we thank you again for your presence with us, the joy that we have in singing your praise, the joy of fellowship with one another, above all, Lord, to know you and to enjoy your being here. So, Holy Spirit, we invite your help once again. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, that in our hearts we may hear the voice of God. We know that we're hearing you, Lord, speaking right into our lives for your good, and for your glory, Lord, bless us in your presence, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when Paul spells out, as we saw yesterday, this incredible freedom through grace, we've seen what about the law, we've looked at that. Then we've looked at what about sin, we looked at that in the last session. Then lastly, in this session, what about serving God then? If God's going to say, you're righteous through faith, so why do we have to do anything for God? And I think this verse is very, very relevant to us when it talks about the danger of what the Bible calls dead works, serving God through what is not a living thing. You know, in the UK, you'll find many, many buildings that used to be churches uh, all over. You see them there now, uh, museums, their art galleries, their warehouses, even mosques. You can look at the architecture, all that used to be a church, but they've closed down all over the place. And, and death doesn't come on a church overnight. Uh, we had a little tree in our garden once, and we kind of saw death creeping up the branches gradually until the whole thing withered away. And uh, death kind of creeps on things. And one of the ways that happens is when we start doing what I'm calling dead works, when we do things that are not full of life. Now, we might say, well, as spirit-filled believers, we're not into that. That's formal religion. We, we turned our back on formal religion some time ago. We're not interested in that. But I, I'd like us to be a bit more kind of self-critical and ask a few more questions and say, you know, what is a dead work? Well, let me suggest one or two things. First of all, a dead work, I would say, is something we don't do with faith. So we go through the motions but we're not bringing faith to bear. We're not expecting that God dimension. You could even come to this weekend. You know, it's in the program, so we turn up. Or we may come to any weekend, any Sunday, and it's possible to just get into the routine and not to be bringing faith to bear. Not saying, Lord, we're reaching for something. We're expecting something. We want to see lives changed. We want to see, see people saved and added. And it's possible to simply go through the motions. And that's what can happen to a church that starts in life. And then as the years slip by, you think, what's going on there? And, and they're going through the motions, but where's that faith element? It's kind of gradually disappeared. And, and, and we do things, we don't know why we do them. Why do we have this meeting? Well, we've always had this meeting. So what do we expect to happen? Well, I don't know, nothing much really. We just have this meeting. It's in the, it's in the program. We always do this this time of the year. It's something we just do. There was, there was a girl in our church once, and she, uh, she said to her mother, why is it, Mum, when you cook the Sunday roast, 
Why is it when you cook the Sunday roast, which is a kind of tradition in Britain, you, you cook this beef or lamb or whatever, uh, why is it when you put it in the oven, why is it you cut off the ends of the, of the roast and put it on top? Why do you cut the piece of meat off at each end? Why, why do you do that? And her mother said, well, you know, I'm not really sure. Uh, Grandma always did it. I've always done it. Um, I think it may be to let the juices flow. I'm not really sure. Uh, when Grandma comes, she's coming next weekend, ask her. So Grandma turns up the next weekend and says, why is it, why is it, Grandma, when we cook the roast, why is it we cut off the two ends and put the meat on the top? Why do we do that? And her Grandma said, you still do that? She said, yeah, but why do we do it? She said, I used to do it because the oven was so small, it was the only way I could get <laughs> the meat in. It's possible to be doing stuff. We don't know why we do it. We don't know what we expect to accomplish. It's, you know, it's that time of the year, so we do it. And, we, and what used to be something done with real faith and expectation, it's become routine, a work that has no faith, no expectation. God's going to do something. I'm sure we've come up to these days. I know I have praying, God, please come. Let it be a deposit that's life-changing for us. We wanted God to do something. So without faith, it's kind of... Well, it's just going through the motions. We don't even know why we do it. Or without hope. I always love that story of uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. You may recall a story. It says that they were outnumbered. And, and Jonathan and his armor bearer say, let's go. Let's go and see what, what God might do. And it's interesting that they say perhaps. The word perhaps is in the story. Let's go. Perhaps the Lord will give us a victory. And it's an unusual story because, yeah, God gives them a tremendous victory. So it may not be well-formed faith. It may not be we know 20 are going to be saved this Sunday. But at least it's, well, maybe God will do something. At least there's hope. At least there's a, you know, there is the God dimension. It could happen. So a work of hope is a, a genuine work. Lord, where are you? You're going to come in. A work like that. Another, another dead work, I would say. One without faith, one without hope. I would call it a presumptuous work. What do I mean by that? Well, the illustration that comes to mind is when Joshua goes into the promised land and, and there's Jericho and it's walled up to heaven. Think, boy, how are we going to take it? How are we going to take it? And then he meets with Jesus, worships him, and God gives him instructions. Walk around, walk around. And, and by faith, they walk around Jericho and I'm sure that was a real test. And on the seventh day, they shout, and it says in Hebrews 11, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. It's amazing. Then the next thing that happens is this. Joshua says, where's the next place? And someone says, oh, it's Ai. It's just a little place. It's easy. If we can take Jericho. And so Joshua says, oh, we'll send some of the guys. We won't bother with the whole army. Just, I mean, it's a small place. If we can take Jericho, we can take Ai. And they move from faith to presumption in one quick step. So, oh, we can handle this. And boy, you know the story well now, perhaps. They go down, they have to run for their lives. They, they, they lose the battle because they're no longer looking to God. They're saying, hey, we can do this. And it becomes a dead work. It's kind of doing the motions, but you're not looking to God anymore. And churches that begin to crunch, begin to lose it, that's one of the ways that can happen. It'd be a kind of presumptuous work. Or maybe another is what, one that's not commanded by God. 
And Peter was fishing all night and caught nothing. He said, I'm going fishing. Well, it's after the resurrection even, but he doesn't wait for instructions. I'm going fishing. And then Jesus comes, what have you caught? Nothing. It's uncommanded. Uncommanded work. That maybe looks good. And then when Wendy and I were in the first church I served, I wasn't far away from where I was raised. The school I went to is a, a town just like 15, 20 miles down the road. And I had a call from that old school. And they said, we understand you've become a minister. Um, would you come into the school one day a week and do the religious uh, knowledge uh, thing through the school? We'd give you a lot of freedom. And what you I thought, wow, what an open door. Because I was very backslidden when I was at school. I thought, wow, it's a great opportunity to go and put things right. Great open door. You know, wonderful open door. And I'm excited about it. And I'm praying, Lord, thanks for this open door. And it's one of those times where, you know, you don't feel heaven's very excited like you are. You think, Lord, this sounds good. And this is good, isn't it? This is good. Uh, and there's no, no comeback. And I felt God said to me, what did I call you to do? I thought, well, raise this church and to lead us on. Yeah, that's what I called you to do. But what about this terrific opening? And I felt God, God was saying to me, I don't, that's not from me. An uncommanded work can destroy you. You just get, I'm doing this one, and I'll do that. And wow, someone should go through that door. And if you're not careful, you're, you're spinning so many plates. I say, have you got faith for it? I've got time for faith. I've got to go there. I've got to go there. I've got this to do as well. A little, little note, uh, your food's in the oven. I've gone to this meeting. You say, hey, what's happening? Well, somebody, somebody should go. I mean, she's on her own. Someone, someone should do it. If you're not careful, you're doing uncommanded stuff. You're just busy, busy. And, and Jesus writes this letter to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. He says, I know your work, I know your labor, I know your steadfastness. Tremendous things. But in the letter to the Thessalonians, he says this, the same three words, I know your work of faith, I know your labor of love, I know the steadfastness of your hope. So in this Thessalonian church, you've got labor, work, uh, steadfastness, but it's labor of love. Work of faith, steadfastness of hope. Now, at, at the church of Ephesus, he says, I know your labor, I know your work, I know your steadfastness, but love, faith, hope, not mentioned. Like the outer shell is still there. And Jesus has to say to them, unless you come to the love, back, back to the love you used to have, I'll remove your lampstand. You see, I look at some of these buildings around in England, these closed churches, I think, wow, what has Satan done? Well, I'm not sure Satan has authority to close churches. I'm not sure he's been given that authority. But Jesus says this, unless you come back to the love you had, I'll remove your lampstand. I'll do it. I think, wow, that's scary. I'd hate to be the pastor of a church that he's removed the lampstand from. What does that look like? You know, the story of Saul in the Old Testament, God said to Saul, today the kingdom is removed from you. He said that to Saul, because David's coming up. Today. It doesn't mean Saul could not walk into the palace tomorrow. He could still sit on the throne. But God said, I've removed the kingdom from you. 
And, and Jesus says, unless you come back to the love you have, I'll remove the lampstand. Wow, that's scary. So these, I think, are kind of dead things, things that we, we do, but we don't know why we're doing them. We don't have faith to do them. We're not motivated by love. Someone's got to do them. Come on. Who's going to do that for us? And, oh, I better do it because nobody else will do it. And that can creep in. That can creep in. You can find, who runs that? Well, I do. Why? Do you like? Well, I don't know. Someone has to do it. And that, once that starts creeping in, what was life and hope, tremendous, becomes dead gradually. Death starts creeping up. Now, why, why do we do these things? Why do we do things we haven't got faith for? Why do we do things that I don't feel motivated to do? What's, what's behind that? What makes us do it? Well, I want to suggest to you that for some of us, it's what I want to call conscience work. And this is where we overlap with the message of grace. That we do it sometimes because, well, I want people to think good of me. I want God to think good of me. And so we sometimes do things to justify ourselves. We do things so we'll look good, even in the eyes of God. We haven't grasped grace that sets us free. The kind of message we were looking at last night, that Jesus has accepted me in the beloved and delights in me, and I'm absolutely free. And because I'm free, I don't get into conscience stuff. I don't do things to somehow make me feel good. I don't need to. Jesus already makes me feel good. I don't need to impress God. Jesus already did it, and I'm hidden in Jesus. So I don't have to do conscience work. I don't have to think, what will other people think of me? Because I'm free. So this passage I just read to you, it says, the blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from dead works. I think dead works are conscience-driven because I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good about what they might think of me if I don't do it. Somebody better do it. Okay, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but... And we get drawn into things we've no real motivation for because our conscience gets troubled. We need to understand that. Now, Paul says this in Romans 4, verses 4 and 5, to him who does not work, but believes in God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is regarded as righteousness. Hallelujah. To one who doesn't work, all right, his faith is regarded as righteousness. So it's a very dangerous message again. It's a sort of time where the elders are thinking, hey, what's he going to say next? If we're not careful, we'll be doing everything because nobody will be doing anything because they'll be saying, hallelujah, I'm righteous anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, I won't do a thing. Okay, so let me just take you through it. I know when we were in the church that I mentioned earlier, Wendy and I, first church, and at first we were trying to bring transformation, we're trying to open the church up to the things of the Spirit, we're trying to become a many-membered body, uh, not just a voice, and, and, and we're very preoccupied with, with really restoring church life, and so we're quite inward-looking, really. And then we, we came through, we broke through, we saw some things happening. The church is, I mean, it's not perfect, as you'll understand, but it's really kind of broken through. And I felt God said to me, hey, you've not had much fellowship with other churches in town. I, I, I want you to you know, make contact. And so I went to the local pastor's fraternal, and I said, hey, I said, I, 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 I'd like to come along. And I said, oh, good, come in, you're welcome. It's good to see you. We've noticed you've been a bit kind of self-contained, but come on, join in more. Great, we will. 
about a week later, so quickly. Somebody, because many of these churches in my town, typical English, they weren't necessarily gospel preaching. They're just churches that are there. Anyway, the next week, someone knocks my door. Uh, Hello? I understand you're coming in with all the churches. Uh, Yeah, we want to have more fellowship. Uh, Well, I'm so pleased. Yeah, good. We're, We're pleased too. We're looking forward to more fellowship. So good, because next week, we're all going out, as many as we can get from the churches, to all the houses around. We're going to put envelopes in every house, and then we go back the next week and ask for their money from all the houses around the town. It's called Christian Aid, and we're going to do that. And um, I'm so glad you're coming in. So I said, uh, no, I don't think we're going to do that. He said, you said you're coming in with all the churches. I said, yeah, yeah, we want to do that more. Well, that's what we're all doing. So I said, well, I, I don't think we necessarily will. He said, we're all doing it. Then he said this, he said, even the Catholics are joining in. <laughs> now, what was, what was he trying to do? He's trying to give me a bad conscience. He's trying to get me to do it because I'll feel bad about myself. I'll feel bad about what will the others think of us if we don't do it. But praise God, I understand I'm justified by grace and not by works. So I can say to him, no, we're not going to do it, and I'm righteous anyway. Thank you very much. Goodbye. (laughs) See, I'm not going to do it, and I'm righteous anyway. Now that sets me free. I'm not going to do it because I'm not justified by works. I'm justified by faith as a gift. And because we know it, we can walk free. We don't have to do anything. So you could be in this church, don't have to do anything. Isn't that great news? You just turn up and, and Mark will set out all the chairs and do the PA and play the guitar and do the preaching. I mean, it's just we don't have to do a thing. It's great, isn't it? You don't have to do anything to justify yourself. Okay, so Terry, where are you going with this? Well, let me just go one more step. We repent. It says earlier in Hebrews, repent from dead works. Have your conscience cleansed from dead works, in order to do what? To serve the living God. Our conscience cleansed from dead works that we might serve the living God. Now I want to underline the difference between dead works and serving the living God. Let me just remind you of some very famous Bible verses. Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Right? So God wants a people zealous for good works. That's what he wants. That's, his, that's what he desires. He gave himself to have a people zealous for good works. Again, Matthew 5, Jesus introduces a note of urgency, really, that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, who's in heaven. You'll do good works, God gets the glory. One more, John 9, 14. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no man can work. Hey, you've got a season when you can. And then one more. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Now, it's very important. I'm coming. My reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he's done. So, I wonder if we ever think about that. 
that God wants to reward our good works. And we don't often hear about reward, but it's important we think about it, because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. In fact, perhaps the best passage about it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to stay there for a little while if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15. Where Paul says this, he's laid a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So here we are, we're justified freely as a gift. God declares me righteous, I'm accepted, I'm a child of the king, I'm born into his family, all free, all grace, and then he invites me to serve him. He invites me. Somebody said it's like this, he gives me a white robe and then he gives me a needle with a gold thread and says, embroider beautiful things on that white robe. It's all free. He gives us righteousness as a gift and then invites us to serve him. And then it says this, at the end, all our works will be tested by fire. Some will prove to be gold, silver, precious stones. Some will prove to be wood, straw, dust, just gone. And some, it says, will suffer loss. And some will be rewarded. Now, we're not talking about salvation. Quite plainly, he says here, it will test the quality of each man's work. Some will suffer loss, but he'll be saved. Salvation isn't by works. He'll be saved. We're saved through the blood of Jesus. But our works will be tested by fire to test the quality of every man's work. That's what it says. And so God wants to reward us. God wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done well. I test it with fire. Now, what does that look like? Well, I think here's a model of what it looks like. Jesus is in the temple, and the rich guy comes in with his great big bowl of money, and he looks around to make sure a few people are watching, and he peels off a few notes, you know. Hey, it's me. I'm generous, the way I am. And uh, puts it in. You know, and then in comes the little woman, and, and she's got two little coins, and she's hoping no one's looking. And she slips in the two coins. And Jesus, it says, is looking. Not like us on the offering when we all gaze at the sky, we don't look at what anybody's doing. <laughs> Jesus looking. He's looking. It's like, it's like, beloved, it's like an example of what it will be one day. Jesus is looking. He's looking. And it's almost like the gifts are in there. Let the fire fall. And let the smoke go. The smoke goes. Where's that guy's great big gift? It's gone up in smoke. Wood, hay, stubble. It's not there. It's disappeared. Where's the woman's gift? Man, alive. Look. Gold. Silver is precious. Precious stones. You see, God will test the quality of each man's work. That's what it says. It says some will suffer loss. But we're saved. Hallelujah, we're saved. 
But God wants us to serve in such a way that he can reward us. Salvation by faith, grace, all free. But he wants me to serve him and he wants to reward us. Now we've almost completely forgotten the doctrine of rewards. It's like we missed it somewhere. Uh, and we've, we've kind of put together kind of fragments that make up a theology without thinking it through. It's like we don't matter. It's like what you do doesn't matter. And even like it's not you anyway. What do I mean? Well, things like this. You know, you have a great time. Maybe the keyboard player, maybe you say to the keyboard player, hey, thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. It was so good. And sometimes the keyboard player will say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. You see, you, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You feel like saying, well, who played the wrong note? I mean, that's like, I, 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 I didn't hear any wrong notes, okay. Or, or, or sometimes it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You say, well, it was good, but the Lord, it wasn't that good, you know, the Lord. No. But people, people are, they don't know what to do with it. You say, thank you, you say, no, 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 it wasn't me. No, it was you, thanks a lot. And, and, and thanks for all the years you learned to play. And when it sounded awful, you kept going and you learned the chords and you learned to play. And thank you that you gathered with the other musicians every week. And thank you, get it together. And thank you, service, oh well. And don't say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Thank you very much. You see, but, but we say, oh, it wasn't me. What do we mean it wasn't me? What do we mean? See, sometimes I used to go, when I first started preaching, you go around the churches a bit, that was how it was. You go around, and, and you go to some of these formal churches, and this prayer was prayed often. You go into a kind of deacon's cupboard, and they pray over you. And they say, oh God, this morning, hide the preacher. We would see Jesus only. Uh, hide the preacher. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> a, a, a friend of mine said, said to, he said, if they pray that over me again, because you used to hear it often, hide the preacher. He said, I'm going to go into the pulpit. I'm going to say, let us pray. And when they close their eyes, I'm going down under the pulpit. <laughs> he, he said, we'll see how they get on without me. <laughs> and in some, in some of these old English churches, I mean, cent centuries old churches, you can go into the pulpit, and it's actually engraved in the wooden pulpit, Sir, we would see Jesus. You know, we know what they mean, but you're stuck with me. You know, that's the problem. <laughs> And so the problem is, like, like, it's Jesus who plays the piano, and we want Jesus to preach the sermon, please. Hide the preacher. Now, what are we saying? What are we saying? It's like, well, you don't really matter. And we don't want you getting in the way, because we want the authentic Jesus. Now, now we know really what we're trying to say, but we don't think it through. And then more recently, I've heard this, I've heard this from people I love, actually, and respect, but I've heard them say things like this. Jesus wants a faceless army. A faceless army, okay? <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, I've heard it, I've heard it. John, what Jesus really wants is a faceless army. What are you talking about? What he's saying is this, God loves anonymity. Jesus plays the piano, Jesus plays the sax, the, the whole army is faceless. <laughs> now you put together these fragments... No one's saying there's a theology, but you pick that up, you pick that up, you pick that up. What's the outcome? doesn't matter. It's Jesus who does it. See, the Bible isn't like that. The Bible tells me about David's army, and they've all got names. 
and I boast like he was captain of this, he was one of the first, he, he did this amazing thing, and they've all got names. Oh, how outrageous, they've got names. No, God's happy with names. God's happy with identity. God's given you an identity. God's made you a person with unique fingerprints, a unique face, a unique voice, a unique eyes. You're going to face him one day. What did you do? Oh, no, Jesus did it. No, he didn't. <laughs> See, you put the whole thing together, you've robbed us of this stunning reality. I'm going to face God one day. I'm going to give account. I'm going to give account. You see, there's a guy called Ignatius of Loyola. He was uh, a Jesuit, as it happens. He set up the Jesuit movement. He gave the church a famous prayer. And this is what he said. We do all things not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do your will. Now, that's a beautiful prayer, and it may well be he had a very good motive, but it's not biblical. We do this not looking for any reward. See, we're not interested. How's the Bible finish? The Bible finishes with Jesus, one of the last things in the Bible. Jesus says, I am coming, my reward is with me to give to every man according to what he's done. That's the last statement of Jesus. I'm coming, my reward is with me. I'm going to give to every man according to what he's done. So imagine Ignatius of Loyola when Jesus comes with the clouds and the angels and glory. So, oh, Jesus, Jesus, uh, sit down a minute, Jesus, hold on. Um, we think we've moved on to a higher ethic uh, than rewards, you know. We feel we've moved on. Hey, I'm not going to argue with Jesus, are you? Who'd volunteer on that day? Ah, why, Jesus, forget the reward thing. We're not interested. Hey? What? Jesus said, my reward is with me. I'm coming to give rewards. Oh, well, I thought you played the piano, Jesus. I thought you preached. I thought we were faceless. No, you're not. I'm going to ask you, what did you do? You're going to stand before me. And beloved, it's, it's not about salvation. Salvation is by grace. It's free. He loves me. He's delighted with me. He invites me to serve him. He invites you to serve him. We want to serve him. And he, to our amazement, wants to reward us. And some will suffer loss. That's a horrible line to read. Because the fire's going to burn it up. That's what it says. Now, if you look in the next chapter, you'll find what Paul says. He says, verse, uh, chapter 4, it's a very small thing that I'm examined by you. Verse 4, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted. The one who examines me is the Lord. Now, this is the, ver this is the verse, verse 5. Don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait till the Lord comes, who will both bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. He'll disclose the things hidden in darkness and the motives of men's hearts. Things we can't see. So why do you do this? You see, you might think, well, someone's got to do it. Why do you do this? Well, what will they think of me if I don't? That's a bit dangerous living with that. Because he's going to disclose the motives of men's hearts. What you can't see. Terry, why did you go to Cape Town in February? 
2000, whatever it is, 19. Why did you go? 2019. Why did you go? Because he will disclose the motives of men's hearts. Things hidden. You can't see. It's mysterious stuff. And so, I want to stand before God, don't you? And so, he said, well, I'm not interested in rewards. Ignatius, I'm not interested in rewards. Paul says this, I've fought the fight, I've run the race, henceforth there is laid up for me. You mean you're thinking about rewards? Yes, I am, Paul says. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. So this whole teaching, of you put it together, look, God's not interested in you playing the piano, he's not interested in you preaching, he's not interested in that an army that's got faces. Ridiculous. He's very interested in us. And what we do. And he wants to reward us. And he wants to reward us, beloved, not for conscience guilt. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, that, I, w- I did say that I was going to talk in kind of the middle of the session, but I was just really into that. I was zoned in. But, yeah, I think even just throughout that whole session, just thinking about even personally, the River Center, where our where my church is at and where our church is at, and even if you feel like you're called a church plant or you're called in a specific way in the church or in your community, that God's kind of leading you towards this purpose. Like, really the focus on with this session is understanding where is our motivation at. Because if you're thinking, well, I'm doing this because I want God to see me this way. I want God to see me as pure. I want God to see me because I'm doing this. That I deserve to be up there in heaven with him. That's not the right thinking. That's not what God's calling us into as Christians. See, Jesus has already done that. Like Terry said, Jesus has already put that on the cross. Our identity is now found in Jesus. We are now made righteous and have salvation through Christ, who has already paid the works, who has already paid the debt. Now we can live righteously. We're called with a new purpose on this earth to serve, to love Jesus, not based on what other people may think of us or how we wonder, oh, God's better see me like well because I'm doing this. Like, No, it's because we have joy through Christ and what he's done. I was even thinking, I think it was like last, like two years ago or last year, I was just in this feeling of just, I was doubting the way I thought of how I heard Jesus, and I was doubting my purpose, and years ago I was just not doing well, but I remember coming back to my home church, walking through those double doors, I just had this new sense of just falling in love with God's people falling in love with Jesus's church and at that point I just said you know what I don't need to stress about how people see me about how big this calling may look like from my eyes I'm just here because I want to serve you Jesus I'm not looking for admiration from people I'm not looking for people to notice what you've called me to do I'm just here to serve you, Jesus. And through that, even he says in the Bible that he's going to reward us in that. And what a great joy it is to just not only know that our God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to give us salvation, but also to want to build a relationship with us, to give us a newfound purpose 
full of humility, full of joy, full of grace, so that we may live our lives in righteousness and in love. And even then, God still rewards us for really just being obedient to what he's calling us to do, to live the life that he's calling us towards. And a lot of that is what Terry Virgo already said, is just remaining faithful and trusting that God's going to do something in your heart. And then also just sitting and just listening to God, spending time with Jesus, building that relationship with Jesus and understanding what he's specifically calling you towards listening to a Holy Spirit speak into your life and saying, look, I desire you to start that men's group, to start that women's group. I desire you to start preaching. I desire you to start church planning. I desire you to be part of a team to go. And then through that, we have hope that when we say yes to those things, God is going to do something. Hallelujah. I hope you all have an amazing week. And I hope you all try out a new ice vanilla latte. Somewhere new, somewhere old, go try it out. I think I'm going to actually try to go to chapters this week so I can talk to you guys about that, which will be awesome. So have a great week, everyone.